And there are people out there that really want to help. Um, I have uh, I have a couple of advisors, just people who have worked in business that have been so helpful for me. I didn't have a mentor when I did my podcast, but I do have a mentor now, even though I'm accomplished in many areas of this business, quote unquote. So I think it's really important to have a mentor. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I am your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several businesses to seven and eight figure companies, as well as the founder of Miller IP Law, where he helps start us with uh, patents and trademarks. And on today's episode, we have another great guest, uh, Jenna Panaritas, if I say that right. I always worry that I'm going to slaughter days, but I, I did my best. And uh, just to give you a quick intro, so... Uh, Jana got to a point in her career that uh, was, I don't know, get a little bit bent or spent or a little bit burned out, wanted to have a bit more of interaction versus what she's doing. And she'll talk a little bit more about that. So uh, she started her company and uh, was started out as a, kind of a podcast for interviewing caregivers and has been a, is pivoted and moved around a little bit from there and uh, continues to be kind of in that caregiver field and uh, continues to grow from there out of the desire of uh, having helped her mother and done some things there. So I'll, get, I'll let her tell a whole lot more about her journey, but there's a quick intro. So welcome to the podcast, Jana. Thanks, Devin. It's great to be here. All right. So I gave just a very quick intro about uh, you, yourself and your background, but maybe take us back a little bit in your journey and kind of tell us uh, where you came from and how you got to where you're at today. Sure. So I always say my business journey, such as it were, began about 10 years ago, and it was triggered really, I would say, by the death of my father in 2009. I was living in Los Angeles. I had just gotten a master's degree from USC. Um, but I had a hard time finding a job after that. It was the tip of the recession. And mm. then in the fall, my father died unexpectedly. Um, my family's on the East Coast. I am now on the East Coast. But as I said, I was at the time living in Los Angeles. And when my father died, suddenly I flew east for the funeral and um, decided to actually stay on the East Coast because I was in what you would call diplomatically a career lull. And... Um, I decided that I had no reason to stay in Los Angeles. I was single and I was unemployed. I don't have kids. And so I decided to move in with my mom and really kind of help her through her grieving process. And so I think about that time as rebuilding two lives at once. My mother and my um, I moved in with my mom with the intention of looking for work in the DC area. I grew up in Maryland and I was born in DC and I grew up in Maryland uh, in uh, what, <clears throat> excuse me, what I would call the lily white suburbs. Now it's a little more mixed, but <laughs> at the time was very, when I grew up was very gentrified. Um, but anyway, I moved in uh, to help my mom out. I was looking for work, had a hard time. Well, you know, I already had a full-time job and that was caring for my mom. So, I decided that uh, since it would be hard to find work outside of the house, because I really needed to be near the house to care for my mom, who was at the time 80 years old, I should add, um, she just needed a lot of medical attention and just everyday care because she was very grief stricken. Mm. So um, I went through a lot of, uh, I tried to do a lot of different things. 
Um, I even took the foreign service exam because my master's was in public diplomacy. And um, I passed the test, but I did not get invited to the interview uh, for the foreign service. Again, this was 10 years ago. So um, anyway, so I decided that in the situation I was in, that I would take advantage of a lifelong dream of wanting to write a book. So I ended up writing a memoir about the first year of living with my mom. Now, this was, you know, moving back into your childhood home as a grown adult is an experience, right? <laughs> sure. But on top of that, dealing with grief and um, your own, you know, as I said, rebuilding two lives at once, this was a huge challenge. So during the process of writing the book, I discovered I'm going to jump that- in just real quick. So writing the book, so was that kind of out of the intention, hey, I want to, this is going to be my career path. I'm going to make, write a book and I'm going to be an author and I'm going to make lots of money. Or is it more of, because there's multiple, at least when I'm from the few authors I've talked to, and I don't have a wide variety of authors, but I do know a few, or was it more of the kind of the cathartic, hey, I've went through a hard experience and this is kind of my- way of dealing with it or writing it down or getting my thoughts out was, you know, kind of which camp did it sit in when you said, Hey, I'm going to write a book. I would say it was a little bit of both, but more the latter. It was really a, a, a passion project for me. It was a re- really, I saw it, I definitely saw it as a springboard to a business, but I didn't know what that business would be. Mm. Um, I really wrote it to make sense of what I had just been through because anyone who's lost a parent or a loved one probably knows that you really, at the time, you, you can't make sense of it. You're in a fog. You're sort of, you know, you're in a fugue state. You don't know what's going on. You, and, you, and you sort of need to make sense of it afterwards. And so it was partly as an, and the impetus was to um, use it as a springboard to a business, but I didn't know what that business would be. Um, I did want to, I obviously wanted to sell the book to sell. I wanted to make some money, but I didn't have any illusions about how successful it would be as a sales tool um, or as a bestseller. So um, during the writing of the book, I came to realize there were lots of other people out there like me, caregivers, unpaid caregivers. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, I don't know how I'm doing it. You know, how is everyone else doing it? And I had worked in, um, my background is in, in the entertainment field. I have had a long career both in television and film production, and I've also had this sort of other career um, as a paralegal to fund my creative things. So, but my, my idea was, I, I don't know how everyone else is doing this caregiving work. So I want to find out who's doing it and how they're doing it. And so, you know, caregiving is this huge hidden workforce in the United States. It's, sort of unpaid workforce that is really, well, now we would call them essential workers, right? So um, I just wanted to, I wanted to hear hear the voices of the people actually doing the work. And so um, because it's a very, we are in a very data-driven culture, I wanted to get beyond the numbers and hear about, hear the voices of the people actually doing the work. And so I started this podcast. I had done radio broadcasting in college and Mm -hmm. Um, I thought what fun it would be to do a podcast. And so I, I, I literally taught myself how to use editing software. I, I got a microphone. I, um, uh, at the time, we had, we, I, I lived with my mom for three years. And then we sold the family home and I moved to a, a condo in Alexandria, Virginia. And it was in a closet in my condo that I did my first podcast. So that was really fun. And the first person I interviewed was my mom's psychiatrist who diagnosed her with the early stages of Alzheimer's disease. So that's a whole other 
conversation. <laughs> but anyway, um, I started doing the podcast. My my short term goal with the podcast was to build Jump the in audience. Just really quick, and don't make me cut me means. off anywhere. <laughs> so you did that. So originally, so two thousand. If I were to rehearse through two thousand ten, you'd you'd come out of getting a degree. So you kind of you know a bit of reinventing yourself. Came out. The market was such that you know two thousand nine, two thousand ten. We were really in the not a good time to start and go out and to look at for a career or to you know look for jobs in the sense that you were in an economic downturn or a depression or the uh, you know depression type state. Um, so then you went to the wrote the book. So before I jump to the podcast, so whatever happened to the book? Did you publish it? Did you get halfway through and give up on it? Did it become <laughs> a wild success or what happened to the book? Yeah, so I did self-publish the book, and it did become a success in terms of uh, it was well-received. I mean, I can't say it was, you know, an Amazon bestseller, but it was very well-received, and it, it legitimized me in a way. Um, you know, it was good to establish a bona fide, like I was an expert in this area. It was, unlike many books it, like this in this genre, it was not a how-to book. It was just... Um, the lived experience of someone, you just dive in and you have the experience of someone who is all of a sudden has the rug pulled out from under them and is forced through circumstances to, because I was the available daughter to, to, to be a caregiver and your whole life is turned upside down. So um, it, it was successful. Um, I did not publish it until I think 2014. So it was, it was a while before I, you know, it took me a while to write it and to rewrite it, you know, and any, most authors will tell you, you, you never, uh, the, the book is never, a book is never finished. It's just done. You know, <laughs> you just, it's just, you, at sooner or later, you've just got to get it out there. So I published the book in, in October, I believe it was October of 2014. And um, I think it was 2014, you know, Devin, I just lose track of time. But anyway, <laughs> I started doing the podcast soon after that. And the podcast so one question yeah, I have on that is, so you, you and, and sorry, I didn't mean to keep or no, cut off your journey. So you got, wrote the book, you know, started to have at least some success and it wasn't a bestseller or Harry Potter, everybody's going to read, but at least, you know, you self-published, got it out there. You know, and it, you know, as far as I understand the book story, some, or book industry, sometimes you also publish a book, it gives you, a, or gives you a bit more of a, to appear to be an authority on the issue and it can set you up for, you know, the next phase of whatever the plan is. So is the, was the mm -hmm. podcast kind of, hey, I wrote the book and now I've got to figure something else? Or was it more methodical and planned out? Or what made you just transition <laughs> from doing the book to doing the podcast? So I'm going to go ahead and confess right now that there's nothing planned out about my life. <laughs> All right. um, I am, you know, I think of the world in terms of creatives and business types. You know, creatives, I think, and I'm a creative, one of the creative types. I think that a lot of, for creatives, the primary, their primary goal is to, to be heard and to get out a message or to persuade. I think for business people, it's to have a return on investment. That's the first and foremost goal. Mm. Um, as a creative, and this was a big learning for me. Um, I had to learn that, oh, I had to learn how to do a business. If I'm going to convert this into a business or I'm going to segue to a business, I really need to learn something about business. Um, so, but to, to even go before that, one of the lessons I learned of living with my mom is that you, I, I got comfortable not knowing what was next. 
And getting comfortable with the what's uncomfortable is really important in life, not just in terms, it's important in business, but it's really important in life because really none of us know what's next. We think we do, but we really don't. And so the experience of living with my mother where I really didn't know what the future held for either one of us, uh, the experience of living with my mom really reinforced this notion of getting comfortable with not knowing what's next. Mm. Um, that said, um, I, I did launch the podcast and take advantage of the fact that I had written this book um, uh, as a bona fide to, to, help me, to help me to legitimize the podcast. And so I could reflect back and say, yes, and by the way, I've written this book, so I know what I'm talking about. And it legitimized me as the host of the podcast because it gave me the ability to the the ability to um, come across as more trusting, more trustworthy, because I had walked in those shoes. So the people I was speaking with, caregivers, mm. professionals in the field of aging, and artists who were using media to address healthcare issues, it gave me the having having been a caregiver and having worked in entertainment, I had the ability to sort of really relate with not just my guests but also my audience. Um, and so that was really helpful. Um, so, one, so one question. So as you made the transition, so you said, got the book done, going to jump over the podcast and I've got a little bit more bona fides, gives you a little bit more credibility and whatnot. Was the intent as you started the podcast, Hey, this is going to be a revenue source. It's going to be an interesting side hop because I mean, you get a lot, I do podcasting, but it's not my main business, right? And so I enjoy right. it. It's fun. I think it's a good way to create a community to help out the entrepreneur thing and to, you know, and also to, you know, share our name of that. But I don't have the disillusions that I'm going to create the, the next huge podcast and then everybody's going to listen to it and I'm going to make a lot of money from it. And yet there's some podcasts that are very successful and that's, you know, how people make an income. So as you got that, was it kind of, hey, I think I can make a successful podcast. I'll get it through advertising, you know, you know or was it just, hey, this is going to be something of interest. I'd like to try it out. I don't know where it's going to go and it's just going to be a fun journey along the way or kind of what was, as you said, hey, I'm going to start a podcast. How did you kind of uh, set or what was the, the thinking or, or the how you were going to set that up? Yeah, so my short-term goal really was just to grow the audience and engage people. And it started out not with the idea of being a huge revenue source, but it was a long-term goal. Definitely was a long-term goal. I wanted to get some revenue out of it. Mm. Um, fortunately, I was in a position financially that I wasn't relying on it for a revenue source. Uh, and and um, and yet, um, two or three years in, as the audience started to grow, I really made a conscious choice to go after sponsors and I did have some sponsors. So I, uh, I had, I had a handful of sponsors, but they were short lived and I found, uh, I learned a lot in that process too. The whole idea of educating, uh, advertisers was really eye opening. I will say, because, um, you know, I think advertisers, in any medium want a return on investment. It's understandable, but podcasting is really a, a unique beast, as you know, as someone who does one. And um, most of the, many of the people I engaged with just didn't understand that podcasting is a labor intensive effort. And if you want to produce something that's polished and professional, um, it costs time and money. And so it was hard for me to convince sponsors that it was worth it to spend money on my podcast also because it was a very niche podcast. Um, mm. So um, 
and and again, this was the reason I ultimately decided to cut back on doing the podcast after five years because I learned, and this is another lesson. This I think it's really important to know when to cut bait. You know, you really, I think you really, and it's a very personal decision. This was just my personal um, reasoning. Um, I decided that I had interviewed over a hundred, 180 people. I had interviewed everyday caregivers, artists, news, news journalists, well-known journalists, filmmakers, authors, uh, researchers. I've interviewed, like I said, over 180 people, really fascinating people and have, and had reached the point where uh, major publishing houses were sending me books to interview their authors. And so hmm. I had reached a level of professional and personal satisfaction, had not reached that level of, of satisfaction financially with the podcast. And so I decided that I wanted to make a turn. And so that's when I, you know, I turned to this second business. Really, I, I mean, I guess I can call it a business at this point. <laughs> Every um, life, hey, you know, if the if it's a, if it's something you're doing, and uh, it, as far as a business, why not? Let's call it a business, certainly. Yeah, I'm calling it a business now because I'm proud to say I will be doing things differently. I mean, you know, it, it's it, it, and I started this life stories for the ages in around September of last year. I had this idea that I could create this very worthwhile service for older adults and their children um, to leave a legacy. And um, I wanted to combine my entertainment experience in film and filmmaking and my, uh, the, the journalism skills I'd really polished through the podcast. I, I, I would say that that was something that came out of the podcast that was really something I'm proud out of, I really sharpened my, my interview skills. And um, I wanted to combine all of this, all these skills that I developed with editing, producing into something that was really powerful and lasting. And so that's when I came up with this idea for Life Stories for the Ages. You look like you're about to ask me a question, so I'll stop. <laughs> uh, no, I, I always have plenty of questions, but I, I don't want to don't want to interrupt the journey too much. So you did. So you went from so far to re, now rehearse. You went from getting the degree, taking care of you know your, of, of your of your uh, parent, or uh, to writing a book, did the podcast, and then you know. But there's at least I see kind of that that common thread throughout. And then you say, okay, and if I understand it, and correct me wrong, the more of the current business is, hey, we're going to have an ability to go in and pre-COVID, it was going to be face-to-face or in-home type of a thing. And you have to adjust that a little bit with COVID. But now it's, hey, we're going to go into their, their house and capture those memories or the tales that they were going to tell or the, you know, the family members or the, or the aging population such that, you know, that they, the family has a keepsake or something that, that's left behind. So they can know the stories, remember them and pass them down. Is that about right? Exactly. That's exactly right. Right. So, so I interviewed my mom pre-COVID. I interviewed my mother, who's now 91. I interviewed her on film mm. with a professional videographer. And I have a whole process set out, you know, a pre-interview process, um, pre-production, production, and post-production. So there's a whole process to this. I, but my mom was like a test case. So I interviewed my mom on tape and I created a promo video with her. And, um, then I started to think about 
funding. Because one of the goals for this business was not to self-fund it. So that's one of the things I learned from the first business. Mm. I did not, I mean, I didn't really self-fund the podcast because, you know, I, I should have charged for my, you know, that's a whole other. Anyway, so, <laughs> so I really wanted to, but you know, many, many women will tell you that access to capital for anyone is really very hard. But for women in particular, it's a very, very hard to get access to capital. So I stumbled on uh, this great um, crowdfunding platform, I Fund Women, which is really, uh, now I'm going to do a plug for them unsolicited, but it's a really cool platform that is, um, supports women-led businesses through its crowdfunding campaigns. They have expert coaching and they offer a Slack community. So um, I decided to, in order to raise money, I wanted to raise some money to um, create some promo videos to introduce the service to a wider audience. So um, in March of this year, 2020, the first week of March, I used some of the video from the video I'd done with my mom, and I did a direct-to-camera myself to do the pitch in a video, to pitch the service in a video, and I started a campaign on iFundWomen, and I launched it on March 7th, and the pandemic hit, I think it was declared as a pandemic on like the 19th or somewhere in mid-March, right? So by that time, I had raised almost $4,000. And uh, then the pandemic hit and nobody was giving, everybody, you know, retrenched, locked down. There's no way I was going to ask people for money at that point. So I had to really step back. And again, here's another lesson for anyone and especially business people, especially now is iterating, right? So things change. So you have to change, adapt or die. So I, I stopped my campaign. I actually lowered my funding goal. And then I relaunched the service as a audio only contactless phone interview service, which can be augmented with visuals and can thus have a, vi a visual component, like a video like component by adding photos, letters, home movies, you know, at, at an extra cost. But the primary package now is phone interviews, audio only, which are conducted over the course of like an hour and a half with carefully crafted questions um, that are honed based on a pre-interview that I'll do. So any, I'll just say that I'm now at the point where I have a prototype on my website because I actually interviewed somebody an 82 year old who I'd interviewed for my podcast and who was very game to try out this new service. And so she was my guinea pig. Initially, I thought to do it uh, through Zoom interviews. I thought maybe we could do it like this. We could do interviews like this. But then I thought these, 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 interv these interviews could be really difficult for older adults. I didn't want to go through even having to send lighting kits or and you know microphones or anything like that i wanted to make it as simple as possible and but i wanted to try out whether or not it could work through zoom so this gal i'd interviewed named max maxine she goes by max she agreed to do a zoom interview and it was really um in instructional it was it was great because the video quality wasn't good but the audio was really good so I stripped out the audio and I edited the audio portion of the interview. And then I just um, pulled out some excerpts and created uh, a prototype of what this could look like, this through audio and visuals, just some photos. 
I created a prototype, which is now on my website, lifestoriesfortheages.com. So that's where I'm at now with the business. And I'm looking to get just a handful of customers, maybe by the end of September, I'm looking to partner with some local um, aging related, you know, communities here. I, I live in South Florida, so it's senior central pretty much. Uh, my, my, my customers are older adults, but I am pitching their sons and daughters because mm. those, those are the ones who will likely be interested in having a keepsake of their parents or grandparents. And oftentimes those are the decision makers, although I am quick to point out that the older adults are the ones whose stories I'm really, really interested in. Okay. Uh, so I'm, I'm really excited about it. You know, they've, they've lived through things that we're facing now. I mean, nothing like the pandemic, but you know, they have lived through measles and wars and polio epidemics and their perspective on the current crisis is really unique and it's invaluable. And so I really think their stories are needed right now, as well as, um, you know, the problem. So I'm, I'm solving this problem of social isolation too, I'd like to think, by engaging with older adults. So I'm really excited about the offer and the end product and uh, we'll see what happens you know i'm kind of not trying not to think too far ahead because i just i don't think you can in this climate <laughs> but mm. um i'm adapting uh the service to make it safe and also to make it valuable and you know let's see what happens no i think it's uh certainly very admirable and i think it's a you know a, a worthwhile service in the sense you know i had I guess it was about a year ago, but I had my grandfather. He was in uh, 90, I'd have to look down, 91, 92. I can't, have to, I'd have to think back to exactly how old he was, but he was getting older and he had a lot of cool stories to tell. And as you pointed out, he grew up just at the, he grew up during just right after the Great, De or grew up during the De Great Depression. And then he went off to World War II and served there. And he was a farmer and an educator. And so there's always a lot wow. of family stories to tell. And mm -hmm. I, can, I can see that, you know, oftentimes if you don't capture those or if those aren't passed down, too often they're forgotten about. So I can certainly see, you know, why it'd be cool. I mean, I, this is a 30 second tangent of that. You know, he had a, when he was in the military, he had, you know, on a Christmas Eve, it was Christmas Eve, they had a person that came into the camp as he was uh, as he was uh, serving as an officer that had uh, leprosy, and so then it was he had a story about how they had leprosy, and then they had to look as to whether or not they contract or contracted it, and how that works, and everything else. But it was a different mm -hmm. Christmas experience, and it was just a cool story he told. But if that if that never got captured, you know, then it, it kind of goes by the wayside, and their stories are quickly forgotten. That often have a can have a big impact on you know family heritage. So commend you for you know certainly uh, reaching out mm -hmm. to that you know reaching out and providing that as a service. So as you've now looked at it and said, okay, we've had to pivot for COVID. We've had to make some adjustments to what we necessarily anticipated. You know, kind of where do you see the next six months to a year taking you with the business? Well, I'd like to think that in six months, I have acquired a handful of customers. Um, and, you know, I've scaled it up a little bit, but I don't really see this as a growth business. I think it's a lifestyle business and, you know, lifestyle businesses get a bad rap, but it, it's, it's really suits me for where I am right now in my life. I don't really 
want to create a huge company that I then sell off. That's not what it's about for me. So um, I'm hoping that in six months to a year, first of all, we have a lot more healthy people walking around. Um, but as far as the business goes, I'd, I'd like to also bring on a co-producer eventually, um, you know, try to systematize this as much as possible. Although it's, it's difficult because this is a labor intensive uh, service. And so I'm being really careful not to over, um, um, you know, get over ambitious with it. Um, I, I just, I'd like to be able to bring on a handful of customers and really um, get this service to a place where it's systematized. And uh, I'm kind of working on that right now, but it's going to take time. You know, it's going to take time. I just know it is. Sure. No, I, I, that certainly makes sense. So, and I think that, you know, I, I don't think it was, I think that, I don't know that lifestyle businesses are bad or they even get a bad rap. I think, you know, when you typically, at least in my experience, to see them as, you know, they're not investable businesses or they're not ones that require, but there's a lot of great businesses that, hey, if you enjoy it, you get the income you want from it. And it's something that uh, gives you the lifestyle and that. I think it's a great, it can be a great avenue for a lot of people. And you don't always have to say, hey, I have to be a forever growing business or the dominator have to have a lot of employees. I'll just put it as a uh, business that makes or works for me and my goals. And then I think it, it sets up to be a great, uh, great business for you. So well, as we get towards the end of the podcast, I always have my two questions. So maybe we'll jump to those now. Um, so the first question I always ask is, so what was the worst business decision you ever made? Oh, the worst business decision I, I made was thinking that I could do everything by myself. Hmm. Um, I really should have brought in an intern at least to do some of the things that I know could, I didn't need to, to do, um, booking guests and things, things like that. Um, so I would say that's probably the worst business decision, if you can call that a decision I've made. It's just thinking I could do it all by myself. No, no and I, but I don't, and I don't think you're alone in making that mistake. <laughs> I, I made the mistake too, and oftentimes, you know, at least earlier on, I would push off hiring because it was like, well, by the time I train them and bring them on board, it's going to take me longer, and I could just do it quicker myself. And yet you always push that out and then you never get all of the things done. And it was interesting as I've hired other people and brought them on to the, the various businesses I do, how many things that you start to offload. And then you, you typically you don't get any more free time. You just have more things that you weren't getting <laughs> done before that now you can get done and that you were, they were getting pushed uh, to the back burner because you were doing the other things that you could have offloaded. So I think that's a good uh, a mistake that many people learn and a good one to learn from. So so as we jump to now the second question, um, if you're to, talking to somebody that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Get a mentor. Find somebody who has experience in business, who you trust, who will be able to give you honest feedback and to, to coach you if possible, mm. you know, help you with tough decisions, just bounce ideas off of. And there are people out there that really want to help. Um, I have, uh, I have a couple of advisors, just people who have worked in business that have been so helpful for me. I didn't have a mentor when I did my podcast, but I do have a mentor now, even though I'm accomplished in many areas of this business, quote unquote. So I think it's really important to have a mentor. So that's the piece of advice I would give. 
Oh, I think that's a great piece of advice. So um, learn from mistakes of, you know, not, or making sure that uh, get their hiring on early or getting help and not doing it all yourself and then get a mentor. And they kind of go hand in glove of getting both people to assist you as well as to get guidance from those with experience. So, all right. So it's now, and now as we wrap up, people want to use your service. They want to support it. They want to find out more about it. They want to, you know, be an employee. They want to support it. However they want to get engaged or however you want to be engaged with them. What's the best way for them to reach out and connect with you? The best way for them to do that is just to go to the website, lifestoriesfortheages.com. All one word, no spaces. And all of my contact information is there. So lifestoriesfortheages.com will do it. All right. Well, I certainly encourage everybody to check it out. And uh, if uh, you're having someone that you want to capture the memories before they, uh, uh, while, they, while they're still able to share them and while they're here, it certainly is a worthwhile service. So, well, thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, and for any, for all those of our listeners, if you have a journey that you are, that uh, you'd like to share and like to come on the podcast and be a guest, feel free to go over to inventivejourneyguest.com and we'd love to hear your journey and your story. Um, and certainly if you're a listener, make sure to subscribe so you can get a notification on all the new episodes. And lastly, if you need any help with uh, patents and trademarks, feel free to reach out to us at, at Miller IP Law. Well, Jana, it's been uh, fun to have you on. It's been, uh, it, it's been an interesting journey that you've taken. I think it's a fun one to hear and uh, wish you the, the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Thanks, Devin. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity.